Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm a feminist, but just before this Zoom recording, I had a spray tan. So over the hour, I am going to be developing like a Polaroid. <laughs> I really hope you go full ginger because my girlfriend had one of these spray tans. Absolutely incredible. She is as white. She's, she's luminous. You know, she glows in the dark and she went, I can't even describe it, so brown <laughs> on the first day. But it was actually, it was actually racist. It was borderline right. racist. I was like, this is too you much. Can't. What did you say to them that got you to this color? It was like, a, but it was so orange as well. Like, a, an, she, should we have a photo of her next to a tangerine? Right. And you couldn't tell the difference. I've made some errors. I remember I used to have a lady that would come to me and she would say, do you want to look like you've had two weeks in the south of France or a month in Mallorca? And that's how she'd do it. So she wouldn't say light. So, you know, she'd take, how long do you want to look like you've been away and where? <laughs> and my friend, who was very, very pale, ginger hair and very, you know, she was that luminous skin. She asked for two weeks in the south of France and she went, oh, honestly, yeah. darling, with your skin tone, you should do no more than a long weekend in Brighton. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's no, very good said. advice. I get them yeah. too and they kind of melt away, which isn't very cute. 
Uh, Emily, I know that feeling because I get sort of, you know, it sort of spots away and you end up looking very freckly for a little yeah. while. But freckly is fine. And also the great thing about a spray tan is that you don't have to worry about a melanoma. You're just going straight in with the spray tan. You know, you're not like, look, I, 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 would, I would do a spray tan, but it would look weird on me. It would look. It looks weird on me too. Oh, I love it. Look, already I look healthier. Look, already on the Zoom, I look healthier. I may have put my reading glasses on immediately, and so I might have big round raccoon eyes. And I, I don't know. I'm a fan of the Irish tan, which is basically a blistering sunburn that sort of peels off to a light shade of brown. Okay. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, that is yeah. really my, that is really That's my speed. <laughs> and I'm a feminist, but I love how white my teeth look when I've just had a spray tan. Like already, look how True. white my teeth look. It looks yeah, like they I've do. They look like you've whitened them. Do you know what I thought? I thought perhaps you'd put that Zoom, you know, the Zoom filter, you know, where you can put the Zoom filter no. to the max. This is completely natural, except the fact I had just had a lady come to my house, tell me to spread my legs and, okay. spray, and spray paint me from, from Whoa, so apart from that, it's all natural. But not the middle bit. She sort of sprayed around it, did she? Nope, she sprays absolutely everything. Oh, she sprays she sprays your flats. Okay. Yeah. Oh, great. I, I don't. I mean, that's uh, too far. Is she it? does. I mean, you, you you said that you sprayed your legs, and she sprayed everywhere. So I mean, sort of like it's just so that you get you don't get this white line under your bum cheeks. Yeah. Do you kind of spread your legs and lean forward? The indignity of a spray tan is. Is it's, like a it's very you know especially when they make you wear paper knickers <laughs> like a reach yeah. around. <laughs> it's very like that. Is it? It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't leave you feeling expensive. I will say that. However, however, the afterglow, like mm. tomorrow, while I'm this golden brown, I look like I've just been on holidays and I'm just the most relaxed person in the world, and I've got this lovely, you know, I don't have to wear any foundation because my skin's very even yeah, and. That's nice. And I, my teeth look white, and I'm just going to look and feel like some kind of bronzed-up goddess. I just find going to any sort of beautician situation, I find it quite painful um, for various different reasons. There seems to be a, an honesty kind of uh, – you, you know when you, there's things that you think, well, you just keep that in your head, but you wouldn't say it out loud. I think a lot of women that work in beauticians are like, you just need to hear the truth, love. So there's been times I've gone in and, you know, like – I don't know, I've had my legs waxed. And then at the end, she's gone, and now your chin? And I'm like, do you know what? Let's what? just, you, can we just focus on my ankles? Because goatee, did you want a goatee? I'm like, just yeah. let me keep the goatee and let me feel like no one can see it. But now I'm leaving here in my self-esteem down by my ankles. I know exactly what you mean. And there is no shame in stubble of any sort. But I know what you mean. It's like, I didn't ask for that. And now the implication is there's something wrong with it. It's an implied criticism. I had a facial the other day, which was fantastic. But the lady, it sounds like I'm having all of these beauty treatments. It's only because I've been in lockdown so long. And I've got a party to go to, which I know, you know, is a very new thing, the idea of a party. And everyone's having a COVID test in the morning. And, you know, it's extremely, it's literally show you COVID test at the door. So it's very, you know, it's someone's 30th and it's going to be like an outside marquee situation, that kind of thing. So it's all very safe, everyone. But I've not been to a party in so long. So I was like, I just need some things to make me feel like old, sociable Deborah. And so I've been asking people to scrub me and spray me. Fine. Do it. Do what you've got to do. Actually, that leads quite well on to my I'm a feminist because um, uh, I I don't know about the rest of you. I know, Deborah, you and, and Emily, you look, you all look, uh, as always, very glamorous. But uh, I went feral uh, during lockdown. So this is my guilty feminist moment. I'm a feminist, but um, pre-lockdown, if I'd seen a woman wearing trousers with an elastic waist, <laughs> I 
confessor would have judged her. I'd have thought, you know what, love, you need to make an effort. This is uh, this is tragic. You know, we've all seen these women sort of wandering around with their elastic waisted trousers, doing adult colouring in, and you can't help thinking, I, I, I listen, that that's my guilty feminist moment. But now I need to say, now I think these women are heroes, and I want to ask any woman that's listened to this, why are we not all just wearing trousers with an elastic waist? I mean, no hard I, pants. Yeah, I mean, like literally wandering around. With these, I, I've, I've got these tracksuit bottoms. You could fit another human being into them. I'm yeah. like, why? Why are we not why doing this all do the that? time? Why do you not want the marsupial pouch option? <laughs> you, you've gone full kangaroo now, Jen. Uh, <laughs> I have. Uh, I've gone full kangaroo and I'm actually proud of it. And I actually celebrate my last It's So many people have said to me, jeans now are really weird. It's like they're hard and they're like, you have to put them up. And they're like, you know, so many people have gone, what weird clothing we wear? Because they sort of always stand up on their own. And mm-hmm. they've forgotten about jeans. And I wonder if jeans are not going to be, do you know what I got? I went to Margate and I got a dropped crotch jumpsuit. And the uh, drop crotch is a revelation. There's nothing nation. up, you know, there's nothing. There's it's nothing, not going up your cooch. I no hear pressure. you. Absolutely. You sit Every down. crotch should be dropped. And that's a slogan you can take. I want T-shirts with that on Guilty Feminist. Every crotch should be dropped. Um. I'm a feminist, but I read Raven Smith's column on Carrie Bradshaw and how he's worried because of those pictures he's seen, you know, the paps have been, you know, if they've been filming in New York City, the paps have been papping the costumes. And he's like, I'm really worried. It's not like, you know, Carrie always had these big moments and now she looks classy and classic. And But, you know, he's like, I worry it's a bit ageist, like, oh, well, a woman in her 50s can't be wearing big shapes and colours and, you know, this, she was always sort of really over the top. And he said, I want to be known for my clothes. And he said, we all want to be memorable for our clothes and have, you know, waves in our clothes and turn heads with our clothes and be known for our clothes. And I immediately just went, I do want that Ravensmith. I have to have that kind of outfit again that's just over the top and a bit ridiculous. And I went and bought something because I was so influenced by Ravensmith's Vogue column. And I messaged him in his DMs and said, you made me do this. And I messaged him with a picture of me you know, you? <laughs> in a big silhouette with a corseted waist and said, you, he influenced me. I went, yes, I want that, Raven Smith. I want it. What did he say? He was so thrilled. So thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I, I'd made, he'd made a woman shop. It's all he lives for. I, I mean, for. I feel that really undercuts what I was saying about the elastic waisted trousers, but I hear you. I speak. I hear you. No, you're I'm, not, I'm not the right woman clothes. for this conversation, to be honest. I you're mean, not I, meant I, to be buying clothes. It's bad for the environment. The, the answer is stop buying things and just wear what you've got until it wears out. I've not, I was going to do that. And then this, read this article, I was really planning on doing it. I was planning on doing it. And I was, I was really planning on doing it. And then I read this article and I was like, no, no one's doing that, are they? I'm not I doing really that. hope we should all, we should all be buying a, tenth of what we used to buy well i buy a tenth of what every woman buys so i'm doing my bit already i mean to be honest with you i've got no idea of fashion i just wonder if my girlfriend hadn't interviewed 10 years ago i'd still be wandering around with a polo shirt looking like ronnie corbett so i mean i'm just <laughs> i'm just delighted that, that there's another woman involved in my fashion sense <laughs> yeah. with those glasses you cannot you cannot i, can, flirt. I mean no, i mean absolutely yeah you I can't absolutely. flirt with any kind of ronnie corbett clothes with those glasses no, no. v-neck jumper please put it no, away you Brister. Must not, anyway you must not wear a v-neck jumper with those glasses ever you're again flirting, you're flirting in a corbetty range you're a very beautiful woman jen Brister, and i'm a feminist but that was widely commented upon in the guilty feminist tour 
many women said to me, gosh, Jen Brister's beautiful, like in the dressing room and things like that, when you'd come in and do your makeup or, I don't know, you know. You, that um, never happened. I didn't. I never put my makeup know, on. I don't know, not makeup, but, you know, do you ablutions? Do you getting readies? People would say, gosh, she's got an absolutely beautiful face. Well, I mean, at best I'd be plucking a, a nose hair out, but... Uh... Yeah, that's, but, that's, I mean, I'm going to take that. I, I struggle with a compliment, Deborah, which is why I deflected it there. You really I'm do. I mean, that's an extreme. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people go, "Don't you?" or "Don't be silly," or "No, I don't." No, but just to, you've immediately put out an image of personal grooming that's kind of you know disgusting. Yeah, yeah. in order for all of the thirsty listeners going, "Oh, Jen Brister," what you've done is you've undermined their arousal immediately because <laughs> you're uncomfortable with it. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but Jen Brister, I've just told you, you've undermined the arousal of my listeners <laughs> who are thirsty for you. I'm a feminist, but I can't take a fucking compliment. So there we go. <laughs> really I've, I, no, okay. that's, that's not just not taking a compliment. That's throwing it back in my face violently. So I actually was wounded with the corner of my own compliment to you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. You nearly had your eye out. And there's not often a lesbian <gasps> really, say that. Really? I was like, um, oh. I nearly damaged myself on the compliment I gave you when it came bounding back at me like a, an errant boomerang. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jen Brister, and our very special guest, Emily Rapp Black, talking about doing it. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Jen Brister, and we're talking about doing it. Yes. And the it, Jen Brister, the it could refer to anything, just getting on and doing it. Now, it sounds like a saucy, racy title, like doing it. Mm. And it could refer to that. It could refer to that. Why no, are you making not- a face like you're not interested in in doing it? I don't, no, I, don't, I am. I, but you know that when when you when there's British people we say doing it, then that has a very particular meaning, doesn't it? So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Doing it, doing it, doing it. So, do you feel you're someone who's doing it at the moment? Do you feel like you know you're now getting back out and doing stand up comedy gigs because I've seen online? Yes, I am. Am I doing it? I feel like I am doing it. Yeah. I am busy. I am, I have been doing a lot of writing and I am uh, out and about now. So it, it does, I mean, for a while it did feel a bit bleak, but I feel like things are sort of um, getting back to normal. I don't, I don't know exactly how I feel about going to a comedy club that is packed full of 400 people in a room that's not ventilated and no one's wearing a mask, but that's just, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just no, me. No, it isn't because I started to think, look, once we're vaccinated, we've got to live our lives at some point. But then I was listening to Dr. Fauci, who said the Delta variant means if you are in an enclosed space for somebody, you should be wearing a mask because it doesn't really matter that you've been double vaxxed. But Alan Cumming said on his Instagram that he'd be double vaxxed. He got the Delta variant, but he felt fine because he'd been double vaxxed. So being double vaxxed absolutely does change you're still so much less likely to get it. You're so much less likely to spread it and you're so much less likely to be hospitalised by it. Oh, Everyone absolutely must do it. But at the same time, my feeling, well, I'm double vaxxed, I'll sort of get back to life, probably was a little bit previous. So I belt and braces, double vax, get out there and be doing it, but be doing it with a mask on in an enclosed space and be doing it wisely and don't just be snogging everyone you meet. 
as no, much exactly. as that would be delightful I mean, to do, Jen Brester. Ordinarily, that's as you know, that's that's my vibe. That's what I do. I step into a green room. I'm immediately out there snogging. Tongues everywhere. Tongues everything. Always with a tongue. I remember this. This maybe this is why people said you were so beautiful in the green room. They'd just been seduced by the glory of your snog. Yeah, that's something I'm good at. Very good. I'm very. Are good you? At, I'm an absolute dynamite kisser. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Have oh, you had that so. review? Yeah. Oh, I've had. I've had good reviews. Yeah, yeah. I've got very good reviews. I, everything else probably horrific. At but the kissing, I can. I think. I think the kissing, I can do. Absolutely. I'm. I'm going to give myself quite high marks. Do you know what? There's nobody I love, here to contradict me. I love the fact that you have not just taken that compliment, you have taken it, you have run with it, and you've turned it into a trophy. It, it is. It's a bloody trophy, and I'm taking it. And actually, I'm going to give myself 9.5 out of Stars. 10. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a very high Uber rating. I'm so delighted by that. But I now know you're quite polar with compliments. You either throw it back <laughs> like a weapon or you turn it into an Oscar. <laughs> So there's only one way. So I'm going to now throw you some compliments, Jen Brister, and see oh, no, no, how no, we go down. Deborah. Jen Brister, oh, I think out. you're a very good stand-up comedian and I always find you very funny. Okay. Yes, I'll take that. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, but hey, oh, you haven't seen me go either way. This one could go either way. We oh, thought we were I going mean, to go for the Oscar, but no, we no, might be, uh, uh, might be a boomerang. Oh, tits. Uh, you're absolutely right. I am... Um, if anything, one of the finest stand-up comedians in this country. See what I did there? Yes. I actually went. Come on, Jen Brister. Okay. Um, Jen Brister. Yeah. Um, I've always liked your style. I think, you know, you come in and you wear. A, oh, a, don't be a, daft. A really a well-cut trouser. Um, uh, <laughs> There's no one saying that Jen Brister's got a good sense of style. I mean, I just turn up in a pair of trousers and a shirt. Okay, you, on right. the other hand, are in some sort of incredible, sort of well thought out outfit with glasses to match and some your makeup's done to the perfection. And you've got you've got accessories, Deborah. <laughs> I don't, My I've idea of accessories is wearing a belt. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Ah, okay, that kind of came back at me. Um, Jen Brister, I read your book and thought it was exceptional and well, I think everyone should read it. No one's read it, but okay. That's uh, not true. I just oh. told you I've read it. I might know one. No, you are someone, but you are also my friend. So, yeah. Okay, but, that's okay. a boom. Right, that came right back at me. No, yeah. all, hey, all right, fine is no is no good. Okay, okay. Can I do a, a, a redo? Can I do a yeah, yeah. thing? Okay, okay all right. Uh, Jen Brister, I read your book and thought it was exceptional. Thank you so much. I, I'm very proud of it. It took me uh, quite a long time to write it and I'm delighted you enjoyed it. I really did. And I think it could be very, very useful for communicating a sort of rare message really about same-sex couples and how it is in a patriarchal society raising children together. I think there's very few books that do it and mine is definitely one of the first. And uh, if you are... Uh... <laughs> oh, she's struggling! Oh shit! You know, same sex thing. Then you know, Google it. Google it. You're Just a Google same it. sex thing. Google it. This has fallen wildly apart. It's a really good book, guys. I'm gonna. This is not a compliment for Jen to take. I can see she's dodging it like we're doing paintball. Um, <laughs> uh, Jen I'm Brister. Finally, vest. you and your partner make a great couple. I think. You know, when I've seen you together, I think you've got a really dynamic energy between you. Okay. Well, lockdown may have changed the energy. <laughs> <laughs> dodged. Successfully dodged. Um, successfully dodged. Uh, Jen Brister, you've got a lovely Choose Love print behind you and also a Choose Love bag. 
Um, and I really I've like got, the way you, I've got you it engage all. with the world and you, you know, you do care about issues. I do. I'm very much engaged with the Choose Love organisation and uh, what they're doing for refugees because I think there's um, very little being done by our horrific government, if anything, making it harder for people who are in desperate situations. So I will do, literally, if they ask me to do anything, I will drop it and do it, if I can, obviously. Um, that compliment was, you know, immediately uh, shone a light onto Choose Love, great. And then it was turned into a weapon against Pretty Patel. And I have no problem with that. No, I think you've I won the game of compliments. Well done, Jen Brister. Oh you are God. doing it. I've done it. I'm you doing, are doing it. it. You were doing it. Look, she's really, she's really, that's the best response I've had to a compliment is you punching the air with both arms going, I'm doing it. Although I did spot a bingo wing, did you? Ha! Ah. Ah, see what it's, I did there. Uh, you're a feminist, but it must be time to get our guest on. Hello, Guilty Feminist. On the 10th and 11th of September, we have two really big, spectacular, all singing, all dancing shows at the South Bank Centre. We're at the Queen Elizabeth Hall, 7.30pm. Get your tickets now at southbankcentre.co.uk or you can find tickets to anything at guiltyfeminist.com and click through. We will be coming to Australia and New Zealand in October and November. Some of the best shows we've ever done have been in Australia and New Zealand, so we're very, very excited to come back. We will be on the 21st of October in Wellington, 22nd in Christchurch, 23rd in Auckland, 26th in Sydney, 29th in Perth, 31st in Canberra, uh, 3rd of November in Adelaide, the 5th of November in Melbourne and the 8th of November in Brisbane. So get tickets now, guiltyfeminist.com. If any of the dates have to move, we'll transfer your ticket over or refund your money. So buy with confidence, but do buy as soon as you possibly can because tickets to the Australian New Zealand shows always sell out. And now back to the podcast. Our guest today is a New York Times bestselling author and literary scholar. Her latest book explores art and disability through the life of Frida Kahlo. Please welcome Emily Rapp Black. <laughs> so Emily Rapp Black, you're a woman who is doing it. You've, you've doing got it. a huge book out there. It's a New York Times bestseller. Now, it's hard to be a New York Times bestseller. And you know, you've just walked that. But also you've written about somebody, a famous feminist, Frida Kahlo, who really is someone that did it. And speaking of people who made big personal fashion statements, but also never used tweezers and would not throw a compliment back at me if I said everyone's lusting after you, Frida. She'd go, yes. I'm going to look, just let's move on from that, okay? (laughs) Yes, they are. She's a Spanish woman as well, just saying. You're Spanish, aren't you? Mexican. Hispanic. Okay. You were both Hispanic women, you and Frida Kahlo. <laughs> Frida Kahlo never asked to borrow your tweezers, though, because she no, famously she wouldn't. had. And you know what? If I was in Frida Kahlo's presence, I would not. I'd have gone full unibrow. Because well, you wonder what the waxer would have said to her if she'd said, "Wax my legs." You really wonder if that waxer would have dared no. to say to Frida. That was her signature. Her signature was nice. monobrow, and it looks mm-hmm. amazing on her. And she redefines beauty in so many ways and she made art out of herself all of the time. And then she made art out of making art out of herself in a remarkable fashion. So, Emily, 
you're out there doing this, writing about a woman who was out there doing it. Could you please tell us what drew you to Frida Kahlo? I think that she was out there doing it. Um, well, when I was younger, I fell upon her book because my brother brought home a girlfriend of a long string of girlfriends and she was an art major and she had this book about Frida Kahlo. And I opened it and I was like, what? Like, I just, I don't know anything about art. All I know is that if I see something and it moves me, then I'm into it. Right. Well, that's all you need to know about art, really. That's basically. Yeah. So, and I was just completely taken with it. And I read every book I could about her. I tried to paint, which was sad and pathetic. And then realized that I had no skills as a visual artist, but that I could write about her. And so I had this kind of obsessive imaginary friendship with her, to be honest, for a bulk of my life and kind of in secret. So when I wrote this book, I, I was like, Ooh, I'm doing this, but it feels weird because it's all this stuff I never thought I'd say out loud. And then it was fine once I did it, was doing it. So I think uh, I, I was drawn to her because I knew she had a disability. I knew that she made art, uh, beautiful art. Everyone knew her. I knew that she lived an alternative lifestyle. And those were all things that I had experienced and wanted to do, but grew up in like farmland in the American Midwest where people alternative means like not where like not having the same bag as everyone else. So, you know, I was, I was in for it. You were someone who'd experienced disability. And so her art spoke to you because she had a disability. Can you speak to that a little bit more and maybe also tell the listeners what her disability was and how you related to it? So Frida Kahlo had many sort of bodily, um, problems. I would say they were problems because they were painful. And I think it's okay to say that she was in a terrible bus accident after she had polio. So she had polio, then she was in a bus accident and her back was compromised her whole life. And then she lost her leg when she was like the year before she died. And I lost my leg when I was four. And I was also in a series of back braces and traction and, you know, fun orthopedic devices um, that haven't changed that much, it turns out in 50 years. And so, you know, I did, I'd never seen a woman, a successful woman, a, a woman who was uh, revered, a woman who was herself and had a disability. Like for me, it wasn't, it was just completely new. So she made paintings and she made all kinds of things and she had all kinds of lovers and was not at all the sort of the cloying, pathetic woman that she's often made out to be in terms of her husband, Diego Rivera, who she loved very much. And I don't know, I just, I felt that, you know, so many times people say to me still, you know, you're so brave or, you know, um, you, your pain inspires you. you and it's just pain doesn't inspire anyone. It, it's just pain. So I admired her for making art in spite of the pain, not because of it. Like that wasn't the engine. That is such an important point. Cause I think yeah, I a agree. lot of people say, oh, well, you know, your depression feeds your writing or your, you know, once, I mean, I'm not saying they say that to me, but I, I mean, in general, they say to people, to artists, your your depression feeds your writing. Oh, well, he was someone who was bipolar and had a really lot of suffered a lot in his life, but without that in his life or without that in her life, oh, they wouldn't have created all this art. How do you feel about that? Because that's such received wisdom. I think it's bullshit, to be honest. Like, I think if Vincent van Gogh had had some medication, he would have made even more paintings and not mm -hmm. wounded himself. Like, I think that's a very ableist way of thinking about what bodies do and how art is made. So art is made often, I think, well, most of the time, through a crucible experience, which is uncomfortable and squeezing you tight. But it, that isn't necessarily pain. 
like pain and misery are just that. Like it, it's just like if you think about if somebody poked your eye out, you wouldn't be like, oh, I think I want to write a poem. Um, you would be like, ah, oh, my eye. Like, and, and until that was fixed, that would be the only thing you could think about. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be like, I'm going to make beautiful art out of my suffering. That's just ridiculous. And it's also very much linked, I think, to the messages we get from Christian culture where suffering is elevated as a kind of. Mm-hmm. That's a, a great a point. Moral. That yeah. as children, we see, if we're in a Christian culture, Christ suffering on the cross. And it's sort of somehow given a um, an iconic and reverent status and not to diminish anyone's faith in any way, but that can bleed into us thinking suffering is good or suffering is the goal. And also I think there was a point in the article that I read in the Guardian, which I think is an excerpt from your book where you talk about these women that are looking at some Frida Kahlo paintings and are, are say, Oh gosh, isn't it really awful that she suffered so and that she had such an awful life and that she was in so much pain and how sorry they felt for her. But in fact you you say, Well, how could somebody who created so much art, you know, how could their life be miserable? How could they? Ha- why would you feel sorry for somebody? Because they, it's not in in a way that if somebody was had had this sort of like constant turgid and, and miserable uh, life, that they would never have been able to create the body of work that she did. That really spoke to me. I just thought that that was really interesting because when people talk about Frida Kahlo, they often talk about the suffering that she had in her relationship because that was often very fractious and because of the disabilities and her accidents and the pain that she lived with rather than the joy that she must have had and the and also that what you were saying about the crucible about, I mean, that you're much more eloquent than I am, but certainly the art is often created by discomfort but not by agony and misery. Yeah, I mean, we love a suffering woman, right? A suffering woman oh, is a good- I know, it's so boring. A happy woman is dangerous. A joyful mm. woman is dangerous. A creative woman. You don't woman. really want women in their power. No. Be- no. No one does. I mean, well, men don't. Or, or the patriarchy, not all men. The patriarchy doesn't. I mean- Hashtag not all men. Not if you're listening. Oh, yeah. you know that you're- but also some, like, it's also- but men, but some Women have internalized misogyny and we- Absolutely. Also oh, have absolutely. that same- I think women have it. We have that internalized misogyny where we we struggle to sort of deal with this woman that that is successful and and doing well and is happy and and you know it's it just it doesn't sit well with us. You know, say Gwyneth, like Gwyneth Paltrow, doing it. I said someone who's doing it. I thought you said Gwyneth, like Gwyneth Paltrow. I I thought you were making there was a small ad break for Goop there. She act people actively like hate her. It's just like why? I mean, whatever. Like she. She's doing it. You yeah, don't have she's to doing it. it. She's yeah. made a lot of money spouting utter bollocks, but she I is know. doing and it. And the vagina candle, which is weird, but okay, maybe some people dig it. I don't know. It's true. I have problems with some of the claims made, but in I, fact, I, I but well. yeah, which is fair, absolutely fair and right. But I think you're right. Some people dislike Gwyneth Paltrow because she's uh, successful, beautiful, and is an entrepreneur, and they're like, ah, it's too much. Shut up. Too much. Um, yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, they're not just taking her based on her claims. And a man in a similar situation would often be celebrated more. Um, mm. This is not to say I'm a big fan of goop, just to Neither. be unbelievably clear. Although you um, can get a necklace that doubles up as a vibrator. And all I'm saying is however, it's $125. Or a t-shirt for $400. Uh, yeah. I mean, shirt, or a, a, a that, yoga mat for it's 80 quid. Which oh, I think, unless it's doubles as a vagina, it. sorry. Not as a, a vagina. Oh, my, well, yeah, there's, yeah, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's wandering around with a vagina around her neck. Oh, sorry, Gwyn- vibrator, vibrator. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a little <laughs> tiny voice. There, she's got a vulva around her neck. No, it's just a little. 
So it would be a vibrator. People would buy that. This is the kind of crap. If Gwyneth walked around with a vag around her neck, people would be like, sure, why not? I've I'll get one. I've definitely seen vag jewellery, but not an, an actual replica vag. That would be a step too far even for the Met Ball, wouldn't it? Um, the, but the vibrator, sorry, can we just backtrack a tiny bit? If you've got a little vibrator around your neck, which I can see how you could hide that and it could look like a pendant. It's discreet. It just looks like a pendant and then yeah, you pop it, it down there. Yeah, but what if it just goes off in the meeting? You... What, if you, what if you sort of go like that and it bangs your body and then suddenly you're you like, say, oh, yeah, that's then you have to be like, oh, this is about my chakras. Yeah, it's a calming yeah. device. Yeah. Um, no device. one's buying that. No one's buying I'm, that. I'm not I'd buy it. If a little the... thing went off around a woman's neck and she went, it's all about my chakras and my... I'd be like, sure, babe. I wouldn't be like, oh, she's got a fucking vibrator around her neck. Come on! I, I, listen, I'm, I'm all about buying less. So I'm just going to turn my current rampant rabbit into a pendant. Yeah. There you go. Just, just, just spread us, you know, yeah, I think it's got a little hole That's at the not end. discreet. You're going to look like Flavor Flav, aren't you, wandering around with a flipping oh, dildo? Right. I'm good with it. I'm Flavor a woman Flav. in my power and I will not be cowered by the patriarchy. I feel like it's something Frida Kahlo might have done in a different age. She might put it in her hair. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know As what? A but she'd be able to, yeah, she'd be able to carry it. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You've both referred to her fractious relationship with her lover. Could you tell us a little bit more, Emily? Because this episode is titled Doing It. So we'd like to know more lover details, please. Details, please. Well, she met Diego when she was still in grammar school. He was painting a mural. Sounds like a bad boy, Diego, doesn't he? Right, yeah. He was painting a mural called Creation of the World at her school. So she walked by him painting that every day, which is pretty epic. How old was she? How old was he? He was 20 years older than she was. So she would have been probably, yeah. So not a huge, huge difference in age, but, you know, big enough. Um, I'm and sorry, if you meet someone when they're at school and you've been trusted to come in and paint the mural. Well, he wasn't doing anything. They weren't doing it then. They were just, they met then. So she knew about him. And then I when she think became anyone an artist, who's met you, who met you when you were in school uniform is a dodger. 
Well, I mean, he different was, time, Deborah. Different time. He was a different. He was a not worst time. Yeah, he's in country as well. Yeah, yeah. Totally. worst time. But so she's there in a little, little little Catholic school skirt. I don't know. Well, she probably was on crutches because she had polio. So she, you know, she wasn't like you know sprinting ahead as the hottie of the pack by any means. But uh, you know, well, you don't know that. I mean, she was a very. I, I don't know that. I, d- I, I don't a think she was the, in a cap at Alpha Gamma doing cheerleading. <laughs> Let's just. T- I think she. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> like you know. She's Frida freaking Carlo at any age. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I f- still feel she's Frida Carlo in a Catholic school skirt. She's also got a dimension to her, uh, a story to tell. She's more interesting than a lot of the teenagers her own age. Is grammar school? How old is grammar school? Oh, you're like, you know, um, if he was 30, she would have been like 10. Oh, oh, so she was a child. She was a so child. She wasn't an adolescent. Oh, okay. I take all of these comments back. She didn't back. meet him then. She they just I thought they she was like a 16 year old or something. They were not doing it then. No. Yeah, well, that, boyfriend, well, they boyfriend. couldn't be doing it then because if anything was going on then, he's just a paedophile and that's just an assault. I think we wouldn't be celebrating him if he'd been no, doing no, no, no. it. Okay, but he meets her at 10. I'm still, he's still a dodger, sorry. But then he wasn't the nicest. Man. I think he was a dodger the whole way through the relationship. Yeah, I think he was, dodger. But so was she. She was she was doing stuff. She was doing it with other people, women. Um, you know, she had many lovers that she took that are, you know, you can't prove it in a court of law or anything. But in her journal, she talks about how much she loves Diego, and it's this kind of love that has a kind of, I don't know, mystical feel to it. She isn't cloying and waiting for him to come back and, oh, poor, poor crippled Frida in her bed. Like, he doesn't want her. And he did. It's just that she wanted other people and he did too. And they had a very kind of modern relationship, if you want to say that's modern. But they had a very non-traditional relationship, especially yeah, during that's, they had an open relationship. Yeah, he was incredibly celebrated, wasn't he? And I expect he still is in Mexico. But am I wrong to say that now, would it be fair to say that she has eclipsed him? Well, yeah, there's no socks with his face on them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't have a Diego tote bag. I'm just saying. And I won't be getting one. The most I'll be doing is buying a packet of jammy Dodgers. That's my Diego tribute. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, he was he was like a big kind of cannonball of a fleshy man. Like he wasn't beautiful in the way that she is in the sense of or a patriarchal norm standard. Yeah. Part of that was her her fashion choices too. I mean her her face was also amazing, but her fashion choices were pretty pretty bomb. Yeah, she's. St- I mean, she sticks out in a crowd. I mean, if you, oh, yeah. if, you, if you're going to see the two of them walking down the street, you're going to be drawn to her immediately, aren't you? Yeah. Not this dumpy sort of middle-aged bloke. But also, let's not be fattest either. Let's not be uh, fat oh, oh, Sorry, I apologise. I didn't mean it like in a... Uh, no, yeah, no, 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 I don't mean that at all. I'm just I'm just I saying... Just, I just meant in a sort of, you know, like an average-looking yeah. guy. He's an average-looking guy. He's an average-looking guy. He's an average-looking guy. But Frida Kahlo, I mean, all heads turn. And frankly, if Frida Kahlo's walking down the street with anyone, they'd be invisible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you were young, you drew you a lot of parallels between your experience and Frida Kahlo's experience, and that seems to have continued on through your adulthood. And do you feel like that she will stay with you as that sort of companion through your life, that you'll continue to feel that sort of connection with her, both as an artist and as a, as a woman? I do. I, I mean, I, I, I'm very taken with her story, with how she shaped my life as an artist Absolutely. And, you know, part of that has to do with she, one of the, the parts of her journal that's now in part of a kid's book is when she talks about her imaginary friend. 
And it's basically like this beautiful depiction of female friendship, which for me has been one of the most important things in my life. Like my female friends have outlasted everyone else, (laughs) men, and it just, that's my people. And, you know, I had imaginary friends when I was little, one was called Killer. He was extreme. And then the other one was Jenny, who was sort of like a painter and a hiker. She was like a... Oh, she would climb oh that's too... Emily! <laughs> Did they get on? Did they get on? They, they, like, they, they went on adventures oh, okay. together. But okay. I had never... I used to write about them. And I had never re- seen that in an adult woman's journal when she was talking about how she had these imaginary friends when she was in the hospital. And she had a window where she would go through and like have this experience. And I had the same thing. I was also in the hospital, also on my back, also in a back brace. That's when Killer and Jenny came in handy. They could do stuff. Yeah. Killer didn't kill anyone. He was just kind of angry. He was an angry bird. I really feel like I connect with Killer. I really do. I feel a little sorry for Killer's unfortunate nickname, given he hasn't killed anyone. He hasn't. No. No, but he's got Killer instinct. He just goes for things. He's he's not messing about. Killer is doing it. He's He's doing doing it. it. He's, the, he's doing it. And if you're doing anything wrong, he's not into it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Defender. Your instinct. Um, it's, 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 I find it really interesting, basically, because, you know, when you're young, you form these attachments with people, don't you? Or like celebrities or pop stars or whatever. And then you kind of like turn them over, don't you? You're like, ah, oh, I ditched Kylie Minogue 20 years ago or whatever. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not saying, listen, well, I'm a Kylie fan. Look, all the Kylie fans, God, calm down. What I'm saying is, is that you form these attachments. Show. I know you're going to get them. You, well, I won't get them. You'll get them. Um, we form these attachments <laughs> as children, don't we? But it's rare that we keep that connection with somebody as you have. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating, but I also think that that's such a beautiful thing to have. It is. I'm it's slightly I, envious of it. Well, I had an, I had a friend, um, one of my earliest friends, we had a secret language that we could still speak. Wow. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. We well, can ha- speak in code. Yeah. What, okay, give me, can you remember any of it? No, I'm not going to say it. It's secret. No, it's like... No, no, she, but you could say something. I wouldn't know what you were we saying. You know, it'd, it'd be gobbledygook. The way the words are organized, and it's more of a written language than a spoken language. It's like... Uh, okay, what, fair what enough. What Hebrew was before Israel. Um, and it's... Uh, it's Yeah, I mean, we don't do it as much as we used to, but like this is someone I knew when I was seven. Sure, so I, but I, 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 I want to tap into this. So I, I think also, too, I mean, when, when you have... When you're someone that is in the hospital a lot or has a, a non-normative body experience, which is all of us eventually, but when you're really young and that happens you look to narratives to sort of make sense of your own because yours seems kind of like an outlier or minded for certain. So I, I think you looked for guides really. And she was just one of my guides and Tolstoy. I'm a feminist, but my favorite book is War and Peace. Oh, wow. <laughs> when, I know. What, what, why, uh, what, when, why, how? Um, why? So why? My, <laughs> my godfather is a Russian literature professor. And when I was in the hospital, he read that book to me in Russian. And I don't speak Russian and I never will and don't want to, but um, no offense to anyone Russian, but I am too old to learn language. My brain is too fossilized, but I think that stayed with me. And I love that book. I love it. I love it. I listen to it or read it every year in English, but it has a visceral feeling to me. Yeah. These are the things that spoke to you as a small child who uh, had, as you say, a non-normative experience with your body. So those works of fiction, those people who you, connected with somehow, strangely Dostoevsky and less strangely Frida Kahlo, who had a very similar disability to you. And you talked about female friendship and you know your friend who you had a language with and how it's seen you through 
you know, beyond relationships with men. And I, th- I really was saying this to a friend of mine recently that I said, when she comes over next, she lives in America. And I said, when you come over, I want a friend of mine who's a photographer to take some really beautiful pictures of us. So I was like, we can dress oh, up, and, you know, and I want like really lovely pictures that we can, you know, keep. And she was like, oh, I don't know that I'm, you know, like, will I be looking my best? You know, and I was like, okay, stop, 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 stop. You have pictures with your ex-husband, wedding pictures that cost you a lot of money and you're not with him anymore. <laughs> you have pictures with your children, professional pictures that you've paid for, taken with your children. And I am telling you right now that those children will be off at college and then off, you know, when they're in their 20s, you will phone them. And they will be like, oh, yeah, hi, yeah, I don't really have time to talk. Well, I don't know. Well, I can't come home on the weekend now. No, I told that. I know. No, I said no. And that's that's what they're going to be. But there you are, paid pictures of them. And I said, who? where will I be? Oh, I'll still be on that phone talking to you for an hour and a half about how your sons are not very interested in talking to you and how that makes you feel. Who should have professional pictures? She went, you're absolutely right. It's booked. I want to do that with my friend who's also British. So she's my best friend. We need and pictures. I, I've got other friends. I'm like, we're doing a shoot. I want to get a group of women together that I love, who, yeah. you know, who, and I want to have a Vanity Fair style shoot where we all lean on a ladder in a ball gown, you know, in a, like, you know, like Vanity Fair front covers. Yeah. Like, and I, I may have lost you up. now. Everyone's you wearing a different kind of black dress. Yeah, exactly. Color scheme. And you don't want to be the person that's in the crease. Oh, yeah, in the crease. No. You don't want to be in the crease. I always feel for the person in the crease. Yeah, that's that's disappointing if you yeah, when your face is folded in half. I'm so sorry for them. But that's what I I really do believe in having a beautiful. You know, whether or not you, I happen to know I've got a friend who's a professional photographer who will, you know. I but if you whether or not if you you don't have to have a professional photographer, you can have. An iPhone on a stand that you can do amazing things with photos now. But I do think women well, should get together. It's, it's a ritual, isn't it? If you haven't get a photographer, no, it's a moment. Yeah. It's a celebration. I, I mean, it's I, a thing. Uh, yeah, not everyone can afford it, but get get but you know get some, get one of your friends. You know, get some nice lights going on. Get dressed up, like make it a proper shoot. Even if you're taking turns of taking photos and things like that, make it a proper shoot where you actually say, we're, we're not just going to take a selfie in a restaurant with one of us with an arm out here. You know, like we're going to do a proper shoot and these photos are going to be framed and these photos are going to be special because they're the people who are going to be in your life forever. And honestly, if you are heterosexual, they will outlast many men. And if you are not heterosexual, they may outlast some of your girlfriends slash wives. I'm not I, I agree. Yeah, of course, of course, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing to say that just because you're in a lesbian relationship or in a relationship with a with a with a woman that uh, that that relationship will last any longer, or that you'll like them any more than your best friend. Because you know, when you're with everyone, every that person every day. After a while, you know, I did a version of this. A friend of mine's a photographer, and in the '90s, she took a picture of my other friend. The three of us were really close um, at that time, and still are. And it was 90, so we were wearing overalls. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bag yeah. Overalls, Doc Martin boots. We look ridiculous. I love those photos. We just, first of all, we look 12 because we're wearing overalls, even though we're in our 20s. And it's just like, it's everything that's the 90s. Chokers. It's overalls dungarees. Yes. And yeah. they're back. Okay. Because yeah. the 90s are back, so man. far away now that it's become vintage, which is deeply horrible. Absolutely. Ridiculous. Everybody's in dungarees again. Yeah. And the DMs are back. So we've come full circle. In fact, I'm I'm finally in fashion. 
Um, white t-shirts <laughs> yeah, right, you wait long enough you'll hit the decade oh my god I yeah, knew it was white come t-shirts around. with little shoestring strap dresses over the top that was a real 90s look as well but mm-hmm. my rule is if I can remember wearing it the first time I don't wear it the second time uh, that's my personal rule but I might throw that rule away because fuck it because would would Frida care about that no she'd be making her own fashion she made her um, own clothes yeah did she I'm, yeah she, well they don't look like they came off a hanger that's for sure I was like no, what she she look like that. you look that's fair and I actually you know there's that the show Killing Eve which is one of my favorite shows because of the, the fashion I'd be watching that and I would like be googling all the things she's wearing and they're like seven million dollars or whatever so I was like okay I can go down to the thrift store and I can buy a dress that's light blue and looks like that Gucci one and make it fit me and it's kind of the same Yes, oh, I love what so you're much saying. more sustainable as well, economical and sustainable. That would never occur to me. I would never occur to me to look at someone wearing something and go, "Oh, I'll just head down to a charity shop and see if I can." I just Recreate go, "Well, that. that's that looks great on them, and that's the end of this uh, <laughs> thought that I've just that's, had." That's where the thought would die. Emily's got Emily's got a touch of the Frida about her there. She's mm. she's like, "How can I make that art into my into my space?" Do you know? I will tell you something. I recently rewatched Arrested Development. Oh, God. And yeah, the yeah, first yeah. time I watched that, when it came out, probably in the noughties or whatever, I remember really wanting Portia de Rossi's wardrobe. Yes. And this time I watched it, I thought, where did Lucille get that blazer? Uh, <laughs> I, <genuinely>, I started <laughs> admiring Lucille's blazers. I was into a real blazer oh, fetish. Oh, no. And I was like, did. okay, back away, back away. You were not yet Lucille. <laughs> you do not need to lead into the blazer. And I stopped with the blazers. I was I like, know, I was coveting a Lucille blazer. Yeah. You know, this is also something that has to do with disability, I think, because I am a teacher, I'm a professor, and I am known for my crazy outfits, crazy outfits, um, in quotation. So I always get these evals where they're like, oh, I don't like her clothes. They're too weird. What? Or she sweats too much. So I'm like, oh, it's on. So actually, after I got a set of evals that had that, I, I did the, like the contrasting animal print. I did like an all white outfit. I wore a flower. I was just like, game on. <laughs> Like, I will wear whatever I want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although, I'm going to admit something now. I'm a feminist, but, Emily, I'm really sorry, but I tried on a dress, and it was a sort of capacious-y tent dress, and the salesperson said, what do you think? And I said, I look like an art teacher. Oh! I'm so sorry! I'm so sorry! I think writing, so it's it's a kind of art, but we don't have paint. But you're writing about an artist, so... Yes. You're sort of art teacher in a way. dress is really kind of a mistake most of the time. Yeah. It was a, t- it was a capacious tent I dress. I don't even know what a tent dress is. It's a bag. Just, yeah. I just it. imagine that you're in a tent and that's what and you yeah. like. Imagine that. It kind of looks like you poked your head up out of a tent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I can tell you that. You decided to wear the tent. Yeah. I, I had an art teacher and I remember she had a, she used to wear a big smock that had like little plastic naked babies sewn onto Ooh. it, things like that, that were just absolutely random. Um, she was, yeah, and that sort of art teacher look of like, I'm going to be wacky, I'm going to be wild. I always enjoy, enjoy it. I want to see more art teacher fashion. I don't necessarily feel I can carry it off, but Emily, I feel you can and you must. Well, my shit's not baggy though, it's tight. Yeah, listen. I think it's bizarre that students are commenting on yeah. like, we are, I mean, we never like, have get a that. grip. I know, and you sweat. I mean, I do. I'm a feminist, but I sweat like a man. I've been told this so many times. Well, I mean, that's... that's I don't know what that's funny. What does that even mean? I'm healthy. No, like, I, I think know. sweating is good. It's I, think, I it's, think as women, we us, we have told body. each other that we don't sweat. Yeah, We've uh, been told that women don't sweat. We all sweat. Over here. <laughs> we 
we all sweat. Also, you live in bloody California where it's like a bazillion degrees. Of course, yeah, I used to live in Texas. I'm like, no, nope, it's not raining. This is called perspiration. Like, yeah, wow. of course you're sweating. Listen, if you're here in the UK, listen, we, we get 21 degrees and we are literally like just in our <laughs> underwear, warming on our With hands a fan and on in front of an open window. For oxygen. <laughs> it's true. I can't. Let alone if we actually experienced heat, I think we'd just melt. You know, I did a TV show during the sort of time of lockdown where you were allowed to go into the studio, but there was no makeup artist there because they were trying to limit contact. And, you know, under those lights, you perspire. And normally on TV shows, they come and powder you. They powder you. But they didn't. And someone online went, oh, she's very, you know, she looks like she's shiny. uh, Yeah, perspiring. And I was like, I'm under TV studio lights. I'm a human being and no one's bringing, and I didn't know you had to bring your own powder. I assumed there'd be someone there for touch-ups and there was not. And they said it was COVID, but it wasn't because I did another TV show that week. And frankly, they had makeup and it was both the BBC. And that one, I think, was just trying to save money. That's what I think. Uh, Yeah. I had the same thing where I had to have a, a, a makeup tutorial. So that's that, if you can imagine. Oh, you had, had to do your own. Yeah, full makeup. And uh, we went very heavy on the eyes. I'm going to say too heavy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put it out You cannot there. go too heavy on the eyes. Have that's you what she said, and she was wrong. <laughs> I looked like a bloody raccoon, okay? You can go too heavy on this letter, all right? I, I was like, especially you can go heavy on the eyes if you like, but I feel very confident about all the rest of it. I, yeah. I, I, I look like one of the monsters. It, it just didn't, it wasn't great. I don't believe you. I want to see it. Oh, I, I wear Lola's lashes, which are magnetic. So you do an, a magnetic, Frida Kahlo would love these. You do, a, you do a magnetic eyeliner, just a normal, look, it seems like a normal eyeliner. It's no, like, secretly <laughs> magnetic. And then it's you put okay. the lash on like it's a fridge magnet. Right. And I, that changes my appearance so much. I'm actually waiting for a delivery of Lola's lashes so I can wear them on the weekend. I'm obsessed with them. I'm obsessed right. with Lola's lashes because they change my appearance so much. Of all the things Frida did and wore and painted and said, Emily, what would you most like to emulate? What do you feel most um, connected to? I like that she had her own personal style, which I endeavored to do myself and always have it's i think something to as a someone that has a disability it's a kind of deflection as well as a a kind of this is who i am deal so that would be the one thing and also just the integrity that she had about um writing about herself in a way that i think for me is the same for me is maintaining privacy even though she drew a picture of her face you know she's famous for the self-portrait but for me it's she's saying this is what you get the other narrative that you chose to put on me you don't get to have it. Like, here's my face. Like, this is it. Like, I like that. And that's what I feel memoir is for me. It's like, people ask me these questions, rude questions in elevators all my life. And now I'm like, oh, I wrote a book. And now we no longer have to have a conversation. Goodbye. So do you just say, buy my book in an elevator? If they ask a rude question about your disability. Well, like, oh, what happened to you? How far does your leg go up? Do you shower with it on? I'm like, we just met. Hi, we're not doing it. So I'll say, I wrote a book and you're free to buy it. <gasps> fantastic response Good. yeah that is a brilliant response i just find it absolutely blows my brain that people feel like they have any the permission or would even have the desire to ask such intrusive questions or it's like in pregnant women people touch their bellies uh, just with asking i used to just it was usually a dude that did that a man that would do that i would just touch his belly and he'd be like oh i'm like mm, it's a little weird isn't it yeah don't do yeah. that don't Personal do that. Case, you know. 
I, I mean, on a, on a much, you know, on a much sort of smaller sort of uh, scale, but I certainly got the same thing when my girlfriend uh, was pregnant and we would get asked, I'd, I'd get like, oh, so you're, you're, you must be excited for your friend. And I'd go, actually, she's my partner and we're, you know, co-parenting. We're going to be parents. And people would then go, oh, <laughs> right. Okay. So how, how did that happen? How did you do that, love? Yeah. Uh, who? Who's the dad? Who's the mum? How did you, was it origami? Did you just? How did you get kids? It's like flipping neck, love. I don't. We've literally just met walking down the street. The, the, it, it's, it blows your brain that people go from zero to wanting to know what our sex life is to wanting to know. But if you're two women, how does it work? It's like none. Google it, love. Google it. There's all kinds of ways we could have done it. Google it and just pick one, and that that might be it. Okay. You've bye-bye. written a book on this, haven't you? Called. I have written a book about it. Yes, Ooh, called cool. the other mother. But, the other and, mother. And, 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 and also, so now your response is: read my book. Read, yeah, read, read my Conversation book. Conversation done. Yeah. yeah, it's very strange how someone's like, "Oh, so, so do you? What do you do with your leg when you shower?" I'm like, "Hi, I don't know you, and you'll never know." Now. Yeah, yeah, or, exactly. We're not going to be book. doing it ever. That fascinates me because you wouldn't say to a heterosexual couple, "What position were you in when you conceived?" Yeah, yeah. because I've heard that wheelbarrow. Is very good for conception. Oh, so true. I'm trying to conceive. Do you think that missionary position is good? Could it have been then that you? Because also you don't want to imply to a straight couple. They might have used IUI. They might have used IVF. They might have adopted the child. Exactly. It might be the mother or the father's child, and you know the stepchild. It could be you know. There's all sorts of. And who's different to say ways. I'm not very very virile? Nobody knows exactly. <sighs> I think that's really taking a lot away from me, and and that's the other thing. I feel if any woman could knock another woman up, it'd be you, Jen Bristol. It absolutely would be. Look at me. Even though I am very much menopausal, so that's probably not true. Um, yeah, uh, happy days. Hey, uh, but I like the thing that you were saying, Emily, about those boundaries and about privacy. I find to be true because I find, because my stand-up is autobiographical, very sort of anecdotal and autobiographical, and people will always say things to me like, oh, God, you you really talk so much. You, I feel like I know a lot about you. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know a percent, you know, so little, a tiny, tiny, tiny smidge about my life. Up. And most of it's made up. Fictionalized. It, it's not. It's absolutely <laughs> not. It's completely fact. And... You know, you pe- people step away from like reading my book and go, I feel like I know everything about you. It's like, I barely told you anything. Yeah. If, if, if you read well, my book, you've got it. like you yeah. six different stories. If you think that's my life. On the other hand, I have, through my Ready For series, Rolls the Dice, and through doing lots of episodes of The Guilty Feminist, I'm sorry, you do know everything about me. If you read and consume my whole canon, there's very little left. <laughs> I, I have put it all out on the table, and I regret some of it, honestly, but not much. There's a few secrets, but like three. I've got three secrets left. but That's actually not true, Deborah. That's not true. You you talk a talk and that's very nice, but that isn't true. There's a lot about you that people don't know. And there's a lot about you that you keep to, that you keep very, you keep your cards very close to your chest. Name a, name a thing. Literally anything. Literally anything. You, you give, you give 11% maximum of any conversation about anything. I would say sometimes I censor because Tom Selinsky's the producer and he's my husband, but I'm not censoring from my listeners. I'm censoring from my producer. To be honest, if we got a new producer who was happy to <laughs> engineer and edit, and maybe we could, maybe we should do like three episodes where Tom without, just without steps Tom. out of that chair. And I tell them everything. He never Aww. listens. And then he comes back. Tom, how <laughs> would you feel about that? Uh, 
Tom's making a Tom's saying it's time to wind up. Yeah, I have to. And that's convenient, isn't it? Uh, Emily, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Um, not really. This was really fun. I'm really glad that my my best friend, who's British, told me about your podcast. And um, yeah, part of the book is dedicated to her. So I'll give her a little shout out. She knows who she is. That's wonderful. And where can we buy your book? And what is it called? You can buy it online um, through, you know, Amazon. But there are other places to buy it too. You can buy it from someone who uh, pays their tax. books. Notting Hill Editions is which is British. I want to buy it in a way that sends Bezos back into space, honestly. Can I buy it in another way? And and stay there. Yeah. Ask your local bookshop. I'm sure it's there. Local, Um, yeah, local. They they can order it. And especially in Britain because it's uh, it is a British publisher. Yeah. I'm sure your bookshop already has a copy. I'm sure Waterstones has copies. I'm sure Blackwells have copies. I'm sure Foils have copies. Uh, what is it called? Uh Frida Kahlo in my left leg. Frida Kahlo. You can read an excerpt of it on in The Guardian. So yeah. if you go on the Guardian and online, Frida inspired dress. It's brilliant. So if you want to get an idea of the book, go to the Guardian and have a read, and then go and order the bloody book. Right. <laughs> so it's Frida Kahlo and my left leg. That's right. Uh, your name is Emily Rapp Black. A lot of great feminists have three names: Deborah Francis White, Emily Rapp Black, Jen. Yeah. What's your middle name? Oh, let's not. Doesn't matter. Jen doesn't matter. Brister. Uh, um, <laughs> It's been an absolute delight. I know what everyone I know is getting for Christmas this year. So if you're a close personal friend of mine, please expect Frida Kahlo and my left leg in your stocking. Um, It's too, it's little. It fits in a Christmas stocking. It's a little, it's actually a great present because whether the person loves art, whether the person loves feminism, whether the person needs to be engaged more with disability or themselves has a disability, as so many people do, it's a book that will really speak to everyone. And it's also about a woman who is doing it. I'm doing it. Do we get some hot and heavy? We get some hot and heavy Diego action in there. Although, again, Dodger, Dodger. Dodger. Maybe it was all above board and he just happened to meet her at 10 and he happened to meet her again at 25, but just Mm. men that are 20 years older, sometimes I'm like, maybe, maybe Dodger. But I'm glad that she had a full and frank sex life with lots and lots of people and it was open because I wouldn't have wanted her to be stuck with Diego the whole time. Let's be honest. Dodger, Jamie Dodger. Okay, Jen, have you got anything that you'd like to tell us about before you go? I would love to recommend my podcast, which is called Women Talking Bollocks, which I do with my dear friends, uh, Maureen Younger and Alison June Smith. We're having a little hiatus at the moment for the summer, but we'll be back on again. But if you haven't listened to it, we've got a whole year's worth of episodes you could crack into. And it's just an irreverent, fun, silly podcast uh, where we discuss things that are meaningful and important, but also just dumb stuff as well. And it's a lot of fun. And it's called Women Talking Bollocks. Go and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much, Jen Bristol. Thank you. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Jen Bristol, and our very special guest, Emily Rapp-Black. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Zielinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craft and Gina DC on everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Okay, great. Doing it. Oh, my God, sorry. Um, talking about celebration. Oh, what was I? I came up with a brilliant turn of phrase and I didn't fucking write it down. It was like a sort of umbrella thing, but it was sort of like, it was sort of like being, it's like, 
sort the of value of the value of difference. It's like the value of being different. Do you know what I mean? Like the, mm. the celebration of being different or plowing your own fur- plowing your own furrow. Is plowing your own furrow good? Yeah, I, like I, a little bit. No, I mean I don't. Emily, what do you think? Never farmed, so I don't know. Um, you well, don't I like to farm, so it could be. What about no, a, cele- you- a celebration of difference? I mean, okay, yeah, a celebration of difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like- we're all a bit, yeah, different on talking about. A celebration of difference. Ah, uh, sounds wet. It sounds shit. It sounds doesn't it? It sounds like a corporate thing to me. It it's like that's the kind awful. of thing that when you get a corporate day yeah. for women, they go, "Let's celebrate everyone celebrate being difference. different." And also, what the fuck does that even mean? It doesn't. Yeah. Mean. Well, okay. I know what I want it to mean. What do you want it to mean? Go back to the furrow. Let's furrow. <laughs> Let's plow some furrows. I'm into it. I'm- I tell you, the outtakes of this episode are already. I mean, absolutely talking about outtakes. Um, I liked when you said doing it. I was like, ooh, that could go an interesting place. Okay, all right, let's do that. Talking about doing it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com